go ahead and while they're waiting on you, I will read <clears throat> from Exodus chapter 3. And Moses hath been feeding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian. And he leadeth the flock behind the wilderness and cometh in unto the mount of God to Horeb. And there appeareth unto him a messenger of Jehovah in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he seeth, and lo, the bush is burning with fire, and the bush is not consumed. Moses said, Let me turn aside, I pray thee, and I will see this great appearance. Wherefore is the bush not burned? And Jehovah seeth that he had turned aside to see. And God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and saith, Moses, Moses. And he saith, Here am I. And he saith, Come not near hither, cast thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place on which thou art standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of thy father, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. And Moses hides his faith, for he is afraid to look towards God. And Jehovah saith, I have certainly seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt, and their cry I have heard because of its exactors, for I have known its pains. And I go down to deliver it out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to cause it to go up out of the land unto a land good and broad, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And now, lo, the cry of the sons of Israel hath come in unto me, and I have also seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And now come, I send thee unto Pharaoh, and bring thou out my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I could go into Pharaoh and that I bring out the sons of Israel from Egypt. And for just a little while tonight, I want to talk to you about excuses. You may be seated. <clears throat> this passage of Scripture uh, has so many interesting uh, I, things that happen in it that we could actually address and we could talk about so many different topics that are here. We could talk about the curiosity of Moses. When he sees a bush burning, he says, I need to stop and see what this is. Uh, most of us that saw a bush burning that just kept burning and wouldn't go out, we'd probably run. I know I probably would if I saw something that was just not stopping, it's totally out of the ordinary, and Moses doesn't run. He, he looks at that bush and goes to check out what's wrong with it. And when he gets close enough, it says God saw that he turned aside or that he began to approach the bush. He was, I guess, waiting to see Moses' response. Moses approaches the bush and discovers that the bush talks. Now, that would have terrified me as well. 
the bush is now speaking to him. And as the bush speaks, he discovers that God wants him to do something. And Moses doesn't think he is capable of doing it. So his first excuse is, I have no identity. How will Pharaoh listen to me? There are six excuses that are given here in this short passage of Scripture of why he couldn't do it. And after looking at all the excuses, I am convinced that the real excuse he never really got to. He really didn't say or use the real excuse for the problem. The problem he knows is that if he shows back up at Pharaoh's house, he is a wanted man. There are probably wanted posters out on Moses because he had killed an Egyptian and fled. And now God says, I want you to go back. Now, it's amazing to me that neither Moses or God addressed that issue. And I am convinced it's the one that terrorized or terrified Moses so much that Moses wouldn't even dare to address it. Could it be that God will not address those excuses we have hidden until we first admit them ourselves? When we talk about God, I remember having a conversation with Brother Stone King several years ago, and we were talking about life and people and how how people can do things and keep on doing it, and and. He made the statement that God is not a tattletale. God doesn't tell on people. God doesn't expose people. He doesn't humiliate people. He doesn't embarrass or shame people. God's not out to embarrass us or shame us or belittle us. Even though there are things that we won't admit, there are things in our lives we have hidden, that God knows exactly where they're at. God knows the problems, and God knows every detail of my life. But yet, He will not force me to address issues I am not comfortable addressing. He's patient. He's kind. Why is it so? God gave every one of us the power of choice. And that power of choice can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. We use it when we want our way. We use it for our good most of the time, but when we have to address the real issues of our life, it's difficult to use it. It's difficult to admit that most of my decisions are not most. All of my decisions are choices that I choose to make. Nobody's ever made me do it. Nobody's ever made me come to church, made me pray. No one's made me read my Bible. No one's ever forced me to do anything. I choose to do what I do. My choices can affect so many aspects of my life. And and Moses here has an issue. And the issue is that he knows that if he gets back to where Pharaoh's at, that uh, he's in trouble. Now, When you read that book of Exodus and you start in the first chapter uh, and and you read where they're 
arose a new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph and he wasn't acquainted with Joseph at all or who he was or anything about him. And then he says, come, let us deal wisely with them because they are more and mightier than we are. The Egyptians recognized that the Israelites had the ability to take their land over if they chose to. They outnumbered them and they were mightier than they were. They were content to live in a place they shouldn't be living. They were content to stay there. They were content because of what it had to offer. God often has to prod us and, and, and prick us with life till we get tired of some of the things and finally decide that it's time to change or to move. He won't make me. He will allow things in life to come along that will make it uncomfortable for me to be there. Kind of like the mother eagle as those eaglets begin to grow, she starts taking the stuffing out of the nest and all the thorns and the stickers start showing up and and uh, eventually she'll remove it all so that when they stay in the nest, they get stuck to force them out of the nest. Moses had every opportunity to do something good. Moses has been trained for this day. Think Moses was raised by the Egyptians. He was raised as a king's child and he was taught every day of his life from the time he was 6 to somewhere in his middle 30s when or, or in late 20s whenever he uh, killed the Egyptian and then fled. I, he may have even been close to 40, if I remember correctly. He had been trained in uh, the, the sciences of Egypt. He had been trained to lead Egypt. He was a leader. God wasn't asking Moses to do anything he wasn't qualified or prepared to do. So Moses sees this burning bush and God begins talking to him. I I need you to go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses says, but I, I can't because I, I don't, I, I'm nobody. I, I, I don't have an identity. If I, I, I don't have the ability, what's he going to say to me? There are so many people who make excuses for why they can't do things. You're in good company. You see, he did have a problem. He stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. John Mark was rejected by Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos's only training was in the school of pruning fig trees. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widower. Paul was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah had a burnout. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worrywart. Mary was lazy. Samson had long hair. 
Noah got drunk. You need an excuse? You find all kinds of. God has never give us a or requested anything from us that he didn't first prepare us for. He first sends us through the school of hard knocks. And once you live through that school, you come out better equipped for life than anything else. My dad always said, son, the greatest school you'll ever go to is the school of hard knocks. And I'll have to agree at this point in my life that dad was right. I learned more the hard way than I ever learned out of a book. Excuses don't work. His second excuse was, what shall I say? I don't have a message. I, I don't know what to say to, Mo, uh, to, to Pharaoh. It, what will I tell him? Do you think Moses really didn't think God could help him to know or God could help him through the problem? They had at least... 400 years of history of what God had done for them. He had the knowledge of past experiences. Do you think Israel lived in Egypt 400 years and never told their children about God and what God had done for them and how he had brought them out and all the mighty things he had done for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? They knew the story of Israel they, they knew the stories of, of their heritage. Moses lived with his family for six years, and uh, he lived with his mother and, and his brother and his sister. And he was taught all those things about his life. He was aware of what God could do. He knew God's capability. But yet, he's afraid. Why? Because he hasn't repented of what he should be doing. And if you get down to the bottom line, when you finally look at his life and he finally starts the journey back, there's something that has to take place that uh, is required by God before he can ever get there. He has not lived in the covenant relationship for these 40 years he's been in the wilderness with Jethro. He has not circumcised his sons as God commanded. And God will not allow him to go back until that happens. And his wife calls him a bloody man as a result of what God required of him. He, he had not lived in the covenant that God had provided. The thing that bothers me about this is even though Moses hadn't lived in that covenant and God makes him commit his family back to the covenant, once he gets to Egypt and leads them out, he never enforces the covenant in Israel. And finally, when Israel gets to Jordan, they have to do the same thing all over again. Because for the, the 400 years in Egypt and the wandering in the wilderness, there's no covenant. And God required it. God expects us to live up to his covenant. He's not going to let that covenant relationship slide or get by. God is serious about how we relate to Him. I don't come to God the way I want to. I don't tell God, you know what, God, I, I'm, I don't want to do it that way. I either do it God's way 
or it doesn't work at all. There has to be a death, a burial, and a resurrection. I have to die to sin. I have to repent. I have to be baptized. I, I have to have the Holy Ghost in my life if I'm planning on being a child of God and going to heaven with Him. There's no other way around it. Now, we live in a world today that's trying to argue that maybe some of those things are not necessary. If God is not serious about His covenant, why did He stop Moses before He went back and enforce or make sure that Moses went back to Abraham's covenant and he brought his children and his family under that covenant. Then he required Israel to do it as a nation when they get back to Israel and they cross the Jordan River. When they get to Gilgal, God takes away the stigma or the reproach of Egypt off their life after they committed themselves back to that covenant. The covenant is important in our lives today. The covenant's what brings God's blessing upon our lives. We live in that covenant, then God's blessings will be there. We don't live in that covenant, there will be issues in our life. God requires and demands that I keep the covenant. That covenant has conditions to it. Forgiveness is conditional. I, I get forgiveness. Jesus said, teach us how, or the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus tells them the Lord's Prayer. And He points out that we forgive or, or we get forgiveness. He forgives us as we forgive our debtors. There are a lot of things in this book that are conditional. I, there are things I have to do if I want to see God's blessing in my life. There are things I have to be willing to participate in if I want God to be part of my life. It won't happen if I try to do it my way. I will have to do it His way or it won't work. He has always equipped me. He said his excuse number four was, what, what name do I do this in? I have no authority. I, I'm going to go tell Moses to let my people go. By whose authority do I tell him that? And God reveals to Abraham or to Moses the name that will be the name that's remembered forever. And that is the I am that I am sent you. What a statement. I am that I am. What does I am mean? Well, it's anything. I am the bread of life. I am living water. I am the way, the truth, the life. Whatever you need, that's what God becomes. He revealed that to Moses. And then Moses' fourth excuse was, who will believe me? I, I, I'm, I have no previous history or I, I don't have any previous success. How is he going to believe me? And God keeps telling him, I will show him. I will uh, display my power and might, and he will know that I am I am the I am. Then his fifth excuse was, I'm slow of speech. I can't express myself. So God said, I'll send your brother. He'll speak for you. The sixth excuse was, please send someone else. I can't do it. When he couldn't get God to give up, he finally says, wait a minute, God. I just can't do this. God basically says, of course you can, Moses. Just go do it. Why is it that you and I struggle so many times with, with that last excuse? I can't do it. I don't know how. 
as I get older, that excuse really irritates me. I can't do that. That has become the motto of our world. I can't. I don't know how. We're too lazy to try. We don't have the courage to try. There's nothing I can't do. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. There's, there's nothing that we cannot do if we put our mind to it. That there's no problem too big we can't solve if we just choose to do it. We have to choose to make the decision. And when I do, God will always step in and fulfill His part of the, uh, of the covenant. He'll be there. He'll be the I am. He'll help me to have the speech. He'll prove to the world that uh, He is serious about His church and His people. He gives us the right to use His name and the authority of His name anytime we choose. We don't have to earn the right to use that. We don't have to earn the authority to do it. He gives it to us freely because we choose to live in the covenant. If I live in that covenant then I have the access and the privilege of every blessing that the covenant has. God is a healer. Why? Because that's part of the covenant. The word salvation, Zose, literally translates to heal. It's salvation of every aspect of my life. It's salvation of my body, my soul, and my spirit. It it not only is about the saving of a life so and redeeming a life so that that life can live in the presence of God. It's also the recovery of life. When Jesus preached at Nazareth and he quoted from Isaiah chapter 61, he says uh, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The last thing he said and it's verse 2 of Isaiah 61. He only read part of that. And he said to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. That's the year that you get back everything that life has stole from you. It's the year you get back everything you lost by bad decisions. It's the year that everything is returned to you because that, that you lost as a result of, of famine of pestilence, of uh, invasion of other armies, of bad decisions, of bad financial decisions. It doesn't matter what caused you to lose it. At the year of Jubilee, you get it all back. But not only do you get it back, if you'll read on down through that passage of Scripture, verse 8 says, I will give you the double. God will restore double whatever you lost in life or whatever life has stolen. That's the promise of being a child of God. That's the promise of you and I living for God and being part of His family. That promise is not based upon conditions. It's not based upon my performance. It's based upon His part of the covenant. My part of the covenant, that the new covenant that Paul talks about, the New Testament that Paul talks about in the Hebrew letter, God says, I, I will make them a, a new people. I'll write my law in their heart. I will place it in their minds. And I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people. God's part of this covenant. 
as far as you and I are, 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 are concerned, our responsibility or our part of this covenant is just to be the human people. That's the new covenant. I will remember their sins and their iniquities no more. That's not absent-mindedness nor forgetfulness. It's a willful choice never to drag your past up. That's the new covenant. The new covenant that's different than the old, which he fulfilled with his life when he died, that completed the old one, and now a new one starts. The new covenant is based upon him and what he will do for us. And what he chooses to do for us. He chooses to bless me in spite of my failures, my dumb decisions, my, my bad behavior. His blessings are the product of the fact that, that he just wants somebody to be a people. The you know, greatest thrill I get in life is when my kids act like they enjoy being around me. There's, there's nothing more rewarding than for them to come to my house and act like they enjoy being there. There's nothing more rewarding than my grandchildren to act like they like me. Now, sometimes they tell me they don't, but it's only because I wouldn't let them do what they wouldn't do at the time. But, you know, in a few moments, they forgot that and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll change their attitude or their, their, their behavior. If I get that kind of thrill, when I, I read what Jesus said, or what God said in, in the book of Leviticus, He said, I, I desire to build a house among them because I want to live among my people. I want to be with my people. The greatest desire God has is to live in your life and be part of your life. The greatest desire God has is for you to be His people, His children, to be called by His name. The world can't, they don't have the, the, the privilege of, of enjoying that. A lot of the denominal world don't have the privilege of enjoying that because they haven't been buried in the name of Jesus. That name is important. That name is critical. If you're not baptized in that name, then you're not in the covenant. That covenant is based upon His name, and I become part of His family. The family, Jesus, was the name that the family is named, of whom all the family in heaven and earth is named, Paul said. He just wants us to be His people. And what He would really enjoy is occasionally when we show up, we act like we like being around Him. He understands our squabbles with each other. Yeah, he, he understands that children um, have to learn how to get along because they, they're not born into this world sharing. My grandchildren have given me quite an education about life. I remember a lot of things I was told as a kid growing up that are not true. Little girls are made out of sugar and spice and everything nice. And we've had a referee today. They're all, five of them are at our house today during spring break. And, and, and we've had to play referee. Matter of fact, my wife had to take a chair and put it up against the wall. And that's called the naughty chair. And if they, if, if, if they misbehave today, they had to go sit in the naughty chair. And, 
It doesn't take long for them to settle their disputes. They, they can get so dis- out of sorts with one another in just a few moments. And, 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 and three or four minutes later, it's okay. It's over. God understands that you and I have a, had those same kind of problems. We can get dis- out of sorts with one another. We can say things to each other. We, we can make comments to one another that, that's hurtful. It's, it's not hard to hurt somebody's feeling. It's not hard to do that. We're all pros at it, if, if you'd be honest. We've all learned how to do that. We, we come to this world with that ability. Sharing, that's not what we're born with. We're not born with the attitude that, that I need to let somebody else in my life or I need to share with. That's not part of my life. I have to learn it. God just wants you and I to hang around long enough. If we just stand His presence and we get close enough to Him, eventually He's going to rub off on us. And eventually, you know, Moses showed up on that mountain and, and, and God took his finger and, and wrote in stone, and he come back with a tablet of laws, ten commandments he came off that mountain with. And, and when he came off, the people looked at him and, and said, Moses, put a veil on. Put something over your face. I, we can't look at you. you. You've been too close to God. You glow. Paul even talks about in one of his letters, uh, he, he refers back to Moses and them asking him, put, put a veil on because you, you've been too close to God. That's what God wants. He's, I'm tired of the excuses. But he never gave up on Moses. So it appears God never got tired of Moses' excuses. He knew he had equipped him for a job. And he, he was just relentless. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna prophesy to some of you tonight. God has prepared you for a job that you have given all kinds of excuses why you can't do it. He's not giving up. You may talk to a burning bush. You may have a terrifying experience. But he's, he's just gonna, Patiently prod and patiently work and patiently work. And finally, when you decide that you, you, you're, you're going to do it, then he equips you with everything you need to go do what he's intended for you to do. We can come up with all kinds of excuses. And God just listens. He's patient. He didn't he don't throw it. God didn't say, all right, that's enough, Moses. I'm going to go find somebody else. He knew Moses was the man for the job. So he just kept at him. And he kept at him. And in spite of Moses' failure and Moses' neglect and Moses' indecision and then Moses' repeated failures. See, Moses got in trouble in the wilderness, didn't he? Because God said, speak the rock, and he didn't do it. What did he do? He smote it. So because of his, his decisions, he only was allowed to stand on the mountain and look at the promised land. But God had promised him there would be a time that he could be in the promised land. And if you read your Bible correctly, he got to do that, didn't he? But it was 
probably a thousand years later, on the day of transfiguration, when Jesus is transfigured on the mount there, who is in, in his presence? Moses? Elijah? Moses was on the other side of Jordan at that time. It took a long time for him to get there, but he got there. What would have happened if he had gave up on all those excuses and just started doing what God intended for him to do from the start? He'd have got there much quicker. But because of his excuses, well, I can't do it. I don't know how. And we we've manufactured so many today. I can I can give you some that that might irritate you. I spoke before I thought. I didn't mean to say that. It was a slip of the tongue. Excuses. We have all kinds of excuses. We have excuses why we can't get along with our husbands or our wives. We have excuses why we can't get along with our family. We have excuses why we can't get along. We just you you don't understand. They're, they're just bad people, or or you don't understand. There, there's there, there's part of this covenant that has no multiple choices to it. Those ten statements. There, there wasn't an asterisk and at the bottom conditions to the reason you had to do them. Honor thy father and mother. Had no asterisk. It didn't say honor them if they're good people. It didn't say honor them if they're faithful. It didn't say honor them if they're compassionate, if they're loving, if they're kind. It didn't say honor them if they're any of these things. It said honor them if they're the worst people in all the world. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There's no condition to that one. I was reading not long ago, and if I remember the statements correctly, when the light bulb was invented, we lost two hours of sleep. When the television was invented, we lost another hour and a half of sleep. When the Internet was invented, we lost another hour and a half of sleep because we don't rest. That's a Ten Commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it separate. They have rest. We learn how to stay up all night. We learn how to, 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 to not do those things. I had a phone conversation just tonight before church. and The little 15-year-old that mom called me about that she's cutting herself and... and uh, as I talk to mom and find the conditions, one of them sleep deprivation. She's just not sleeping. And you just stay up and stay up and stay up and stay up and you violate the Sabbath rules. It's going to destroy the body. It'll affect the mind. So God's covenant requires you and I participate. And there are things He expects out of us. And there are no excuses for why we don't do it. What kind of excuse have you made up? You know, the hardest thing in life to do 
is to look at that mirror and look at that guy in the mirror and really talk to him honestly about who he really is or who she really is and to get honest about life. That's difficult to do. How often do we stand there with excuses? There's really no excuse. Can we hang out with God long enough that we start looking like him, thinking like him, acting like him? We enjoy being around him enough that, that, that as the longer I stay there, after a while, I'll start looking, I'll shine like he shines. It'll bother people when, when I come around because I've been in the presence of God. And there's no place greater than his presence. There's, there's nothing more rewarding or fulfilling than being in His presence. Excuses don't work. God has called some of you to leadership. Don't give excuses why you can't do it. God's give you talents. Don't give excuses why you don't use them. You use them, He multiplies them. If you had five, you'll wind up with ten. You have ten, you'll wind up with twenty. When you put it into use, God takes your life and starts multiplying it. And, and, and you start being able to do things you, you never even knew you had the ability to do before. Would you stand?